Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. And so we're going to be, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Verses 25 through 34. This is the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Jesus literally on a mountain giving a sermon. And people have gathered to hear him. He's he's drawing a crowd. And he's sharing on all types of topics. And he gets to anxiety and worry. And he says this in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. It is, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He takes care of the of nature, of the animals. Are you, humanity, my creation, not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Anxiety never going to help us. It's never going to make us feel better. It's not going to make our life more better. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, what power is anxiety? There's no point of it because it's not going to add anything to your life. Which of you, or, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, the flowers, how they grow. They, ne- they neither t- uh, toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? It says in verse 31, therefore do not be anxious. Second time saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And what Jesus is saying here, Gentiles did become Christians. There were Christian Gentiles. But Matthew, the writer, is speaking to a group of Jewish, is a Jewish audience. And what he's saying is that the Gentiles that he's speaking to directly didn't believe in God, didn't have a relationship with God. And so what they did was they were after possessions. They were after material things more than spiritual. And he says this, For the Gentiles seek after all these things. The Father knows all that you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And look at this promise. And all these things will be added to you. Everything that you need, what you're worrying about, what you have anxiety about, God will bring them into your life. That's a promise. If we seek his kingdom and we seek his righteousness. Third and final time. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, your future. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you're taking notes, the title of what I want to talk about is the cure for anxiety. The cure for anxiety. And I believe in these verses, we can find the cure for anxiety. And listen, it's not, like I said, it's not a one, one cure-all pill that you're going to take or it's like, oh, I just pray one time and it's gone forever. No, we're going to have anxiety many days now and the days to come. But what can we do to find that cure that when it does enter our life, when we have Jesus in our rightful place, we can have peace and we can have strength to face our tomorrow. Amen. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for today that we're alive, that we're breathing. God, we thank you for your word, the Bible that speaks to us, that's alive. God, this book is relevant, Lord Jesus. It can speak to any hot topic we're dealing with today. It speaks to every situation we face today, God. This is not an ancient book, but a book that is relevant, alive, and speaks loudly. And I just pray that today, Lord Jesus, your word as it's spoken, God, 
would speak loudly to our lives. It would help us. Anybody here who has anxiety, who has strong worry, uncertainty, fear of the unknown, God, that they would have peace, that have strength, they would have faith, God, to believe that you are for them and you know what they need and you're going to be a provider for them, Lord Jesus. God, we also pray for anybody here today that doesn't know you, they don't have a relationship with you, they, 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 they don't consider themselves a Christian. They, they're not in a million years thought they would ever be in a church, but they're here. I pray, God, that you would speak to them, that they would feel your love, they would sense your presence, and God, they would have an encounter with you today. Lord, we love you, and we pray for the heat, Lord. I mean, Lord Jesus, you might have to go to Jersey and play and uh, come back, but we pray for them and that you would help us in game seven. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. I, uh, I recently read a story uh, about a woman who, in her neighborhood, she was looking at a nearby tree, and in this tree, she, she saw something that she couldn't kind of, she had trouble seeing exactly what it was, but what she could see, even though it wasn't clear, scared her. She thought she saw in this tree near her house a menacing object, animal, and so what she did was she called local animal services to go uh, retrieve whatever it is in that tree because she was scared. She was frightful. So she calls animal services. They ask her, hey, are you sure it's not an iguana or a bird? And she's like, I don't know for sure, but I think it's some type of a tree beast that's up there. So she was freaked out, calling it tree beast. I, you know, again, it, this story gets even crazier. And so she calls animal services. They plan a schedule, plan an appointment to come by the house to get to that tree and take whatever it is out. So two days go by, and in that neighborhood, the, the, the surrounding houses start getting fearful. So they start locking their windows. Nobody really goes outside until animal services show up. They finally get there, and they go to the tree, and what they find will probably surprise you. They don't find an iguana. They don't find an eagle or a bird or a pigeon. They don't find a, a small bear or exotic animal. What they find is a croissant. <laughs> a flaky, delicious French pastry. That's, uh, that's what they find. And so they're like, okay, maybe what happened was somebody wanted to feed some birds in the neighborhood. You know how you, like when you go to Baptist Hospital and you feed the ducks, like that's what they wanted to do. Like they threw the bread, the croissant in the tree, it got stuck. And because they couldn't see clearly, they had fear what they could not see, what they could not know, what they were uncertain about. And the moral of the story is, one, pray for that lady, but also <laughs> that the fear of the unknown, the fear of unknown circumstances can sometimes make us prisoners, right? Like it could sometimes, the anxiety of, what, of what's next, where's America headed? Who's gonna be our next president? What, what's gonna happen with my kids at school? The worry that we all face can scare us because we don't know for sure what's gonna happen. There isn't like a list of multiple choice options that give us what we want. It's like, man, we're hoping for the best, but we're not sure what the future holds. We're not sure what's gonna happen, and that can scare us. When you don't have all the information to make a decision, right? When you don't have all the control to make a decision, anxiety can come in, uncertainty can come in, and you can be paralyzed to do anything. I mean, this, is, this can happen in our lives, that it can affect us emotionally, socially, spiritually, right? Like, I put it this way. I think in our relationship with Jesus, anxiety and uncertainty can affect our faith. I believe that the fear of the unknown can hijack freedom that is known. 
Right? What did we talk about last week? Pastor Alex said this perfectly. When you are a believer in Jesus, what does that make you? You are free. Free from your sins. Look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.17. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? Romans 6.22. But now you are free from the power of sin, and you become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Meaning, because Jesus set you free, you no longer are addicted to the same things that you were addicted to in your past. That you're no longer scared to face the future. That when you're sick, you believe God can heal you. That when you're struggling, you believe that God can help you. You're free from the things that used to own you. But that's all nice to preach about, right? Yeah. It's easy to praise God that you're free and God's with you and he loves you and his grace and his mercy. But what happens when your job security isn't so secure? What happens if you're struggling in your finances and you don't know when that next paycheck's gonna come and you don't know how you're gonna balance the books and you got debt you gotta pay and you don't know, you got credit cards going all over the place and you're struggling, you have anxiety and you are literally like, I don't know what to do and you're your last rope. Or maybe it's your children. You look at the way America's going and the things recently in the news that we've seen, like, like where, is this, where is this headed? What are my kids going to grow up in? Just thinking about my daughter growing up gives me anxiety. Like legitimately, this is something that it's, it's, it's affecting me. Sometimes it's, I have sleepless nights thinking about what she's going to face. Anxiety and the worry is a real thing that we can feel. Our physical health. Is God going to heal me? Is God going to make me better? My dad struggled with this. My mom struggled with this. So am I going to happen? Is it going to be generational? Am I going to struggle? And we, we live life on the edge of what can happen. Or maybe it's relationship with friends and family. Think about it. You don't know what's going to happen sometimes at the family dinner table, especially Thanksgiving and the holidays. You're like, man, I don't know what's going to happen. I have anxiety. What's going to be said? Who's going to say what? Who's going to dis disrespect somebody? Like, or just the, just the messiness of the family, right? Like we love our family, but we also can... You know, they drive us crazy. And so we, we, there's that, there's that that navigate. Maybe it's our romantic relationships, the dating scene, or maybe you're single and you're, you're getting to an age where it's like, God, I want to have kids one day. Like, have you forgot about my desires? Like, I feel anxious that I'll never find somebody. Or, or maybe you're in a relationship right now and there's anxiety that, that maybe you guys are going to break up or there's tension. There's anxiety all over the world and you could, it's not hard to find. And some of us are dealing with it right now. And, and what does that anxiety do to us physically? It can lead to restlessness. It can lead to us being on edge. We're fatigued often. We have difficulty focusing. We're irritable. We can have difficulty sleeping. It affects every aspect of our life. And before you know it, what happens when anxiety enters in our life, it can dictate who you are, what you do, and it owns every part of your life. And I think what we don't realize is that when anxiety, worry, and doubt, and all these things creep in, what's happening is, is we're understanding now that there's a battle within our soul between two masters that we don't, know, that don't really, we don't really realize is going down. Because we're thinking superficial, like, okay, anxiety, have anxiety, but reality, it's not just the circumstances giving you anxiety. There's a battle going on within you that you don't realize. And what, let me explain. If we, if we understand what Jesus is trying to say here, for example, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. So in the Bible, whenever you see therefore, that means you got to go back to see what Jesus is saying for him to say therefore. So for example, you, before Jesus says, do not be anxious, he gives us the reason of why a lot of us have anxiety. And so if we go back 
chapter 6, verses 22 to 25, he says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye can see, you're going to be healthy because you know where you're going. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is their darkness? But look what he says in these verses, in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, do not be anxious. So what Jesus is trying to say here is if you want to get rid of your anxiety, you got to get rid of one of your masters. Like there's something's got to give, something's got to change in our thinking, in our living, in our choices. Because right now, a lot of us are in the middle of a battle between two things. And that's why we have anxiety. Do not be anxious. In the Greek, the term that it derives from is mirimna. And mirimna means to be drawn into different directions. Right? Like, what does anxiety do? It, it divides you. It pulls you apart. One day you're on fire for Jesus. The other day you're thinking about your finances and you think about that more than you think about Jesus. And because you're all over the place, you have anxiety. Instead of trusting God fully, we kind of trust, but we kind of look at this situation more powerfully than we do God. And what are we doing? We're being pulled in different directions. God, how are you going to help me here? Here, here, I got this going on. I got this going on. I got trouble here. I got trouble there. And it's like, if you think like that, no wonder you're anxious. All of us, if we go down that route and we're between two masters battling it out for our attention, we will have anxiety. And so you will stay with anxiety if you stay divided. So the choice is, what decision are we going to make when it comes to choosing who is going to be our master and who is not? Because you could stay in the middle and get pulled in all types of directions. You can stay in the middle and think that you could beat this on your own. You could stay in the middle and believe that the more you pray to God, but focus on the other thing that you're struggling with, that you won't have anxiety until you fully commit to believe that God's way is the best way and that your faith in Jesus and having him as your master will give you peace, will help you. And, and this is something we got to practice, church. Like, I'm not just preaching this because it sounds good. Like, you got, like, let me just put it this way. Let me go to the verses. Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to the Bible. Okay. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4 says, it, You will keep God. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, right? So I'm going to trust God as my master and whose thoughts are fixed on you. So there's something in us that has to fix our thoughts on God. So it's like, God, I'm not going to give my attention on my problem, on my circumstances that's causing anxiety. I'm going to go to you and fix my thoughts on you so you can help me. And what does it say? You're going to give them perfect peace. Perfect peace. Look what it says in Philippians 4, 6 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And there's that theme again. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whenever you are tempted to be anxious or to worry, that is an automatic and immediate response for you to pray on the spot. Like the moment an anxious thought comes in, God, I rebuke that anxious thought. God, you're going to take care of my finances. My kids are going to be okay. God, you're going to bless my marriage. Like, like even if you're at dinner and you got to excuse yourself, like let me go to the bathroom, I'm going to pray real quick. Like, because if we let it linger, it's going to pull us in the wrong direction. And so instead of having one master Jesus, we now, okay, we give a door and we open and we cooperate with anxiety more than we cooperate with God. 
And we got to be careful that we don't just like, well, God will make it go away because he loves me. Yes, he loves you, but let's pray and let's get our mind. We have to control what our, what our thoughts are. We have to control what our focus is. This is something that's on us because if we just wait, then our mind will eat us alive and we'll be stuck in the battle between two masters. But here's what I believe. I believe that the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Listen to me. You don't have to stay in the prison of anxiety forever. It is not your home. It is not your new address. It is not going to be for you with the rest of your life. If you believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross, he defeated death and resurrected, how can you not believe him to defeat your anxiety? To, to help you with whatever you're going through. God didn't just save us to abandon us. He saved us to walk with us. Yes, we have a home in heaven, but we have a job to do on earth. And to do that job, he's going to take care of us. We have a mission. We have a purpose that when you get up every single day, you have a reason to live. You are not aimlessly walking on this earth for no reason, just breathing up, taking up oxygen. And so when you are sick, God doesn't want you to be sick because we have a mission. When you are struggling, he doesn't want you to struggle because we have a mission to be good husbands and wives, to be good family members, to be good mothers and, and disciples of Jesus. We have a mission. And in that mission, it's going to take all of us. And if there's something wrong, God will fix it. So that prison of anxiety today that you're in is optional. You don't have to stay there. It's like you can leave there today. And we're going to believe that the words of Jesus can help us whenever we feel like we're creeping back into that prison, we can break free because we are free in Christ. We all know this verse, John 16, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Anxiety cannot defeat Jesus. Depression cannot defeat Jesus. Mental illness, Jesus can handle it. He can take care of it. It's not too difficult for him. It's not too difficult for him. And maybe you're in this place where Phil, you don't know how long I've been dealing with. I think on this one I do relate. Because I have somebody in my life that struggles with it. And I know what that battle looks like. And I promise you, Jesus can take care of you. I promise you that. Without getting into too much details, but I promise you, I believe in what the words of Jesus are saying here and how it can help us with our mental struggles. I believe that whenever anxiety and worry and, and you have these impossible situations facing you, let them be an opportunity for God to show you how much God he is. When was the last time you, 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 you're like, God, like in awe of God? Like, God, wow, I couldn't believe you did that. Wow, you answered that prayer. Wow, you provided from, like, when was the last time you were in awe of God? Because in order to be in awe of God, you need to go through something that is worthy of him being like, whoa, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surprise my people real, real quick. Because sometimes when we're comfortable, you won't be in awe of God. And so let this be an opportunity for you to realize that God is powerful. He's awesome. He's mighty. And he can handle any situation that you're dealing with. So what is the cure to anxiety? I believe that the words of Jesus gives us what we need to face it head on. In Matthew 6, he's kind of telling us like, hey, don't be preoccupied by the things you always worry about. Food, drink, clothes, necessities, things that you feel like you got to have in order to live. He's saying, hey, instead focus on my kingdom and my righteousness. Fix your perspective. Fix your focus on things that matter. Not that these things don't matter, but if you focus on my kingdom and my righteousness, all these things will be added to you. 
And so here's three things I think Jesus is, is hitting head on in these verses. The first one is, I think a lot of us, we have anxiety over our priorities. We have other things over God and that gives us anxiety because we've, we've, we forgot to put God in his rightful place. And so we're trying to do things on our own strength. We're trying to believe in other circumstances or other uh, avenues of help. And God is not our rightful, uh, our rightful place in our lives. And we have anxiety because we haven't gone to him. Our possessions. Like, like we want more than what God has already given us. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's not, that he, it's not that they were praying for wrong things. Like, God, we need clothes. We need food. It's that God is providing, but it's almost like they're getting greedy and they want more. So possessions gives them anxiety because they want something and they compare. Progress, our future, our five-year, ten-year plan, our, our mission to go to college and what we're going to do after college or our business and all these things that are great to have in retrospect but can give us anxiety when we think too much into them. And don't focus on what God is doing in our lives today, in this moment, right in front of us. So the first one, priorities. Do we have our priorities in order? Verses 25 through 30, what does he talk about? He goes, hey, is life not more important than food and drink? And is humanity not more important than nature? So Jesus, what he's doing is he's kind of bringing up two arguments to, to lift up our faith of like, hey, how much more do I care about you than these things? And he starts from greater to lesser and then lesser to greater. And I'll explain it like this. He uses the human experience from greater to lesser. Our human experience is this. God created and now sustains our life. He also created and continues to sustain our bodies. This is a fact of everyday experience. We didn't make ourselves nor do we keep ourselves alive. Now our life for which God is responsible is obviously more important than the food and drink which we need. Similarly, our body for which God is also responsible, our body, he created our body in his image, is more important than the clothing which covers and warms it. So, if God already takes care of the greater, our life and our body, can we not trust him to take care of the lesser, our food and our clothing? I mean, your breath right now is a miracle from God. The fact that you're on earth, not floating off into space because of something called gravity and because of the rotational pull of the planet, and I don't know too much because I'm not that smart, but that's as far as I get. The fact that you don't have, like you are, you are here right now, you can breathe, you can live, you got here in a car, like you are blessed. If God can give you that, you don't think he can take care of your food, your drink, your clothing, like. He did the greater, the lesser he could take care of. Change your priority, your perspective. Like if God is doing all this, what I'm asking for, he can do it. And so it encourages my faith. And then he goes on to use uh, animals and, and flowers for another example to, do, to show from the greater to lesser. Jesus used birds and flowers as evidence of God's ability to feed and clothe us. How does God feed the birds? I believe that Jesus was somebody who was in awe of his father's creation. And he would understand that some birds are not the same. Some birds eat seeds. Some birds are hunters and predators. Some eat fish. And so what happens is God feeds them. But the way he does it is not by stretching out his divine hand and just dropping seeds everywhere. And like, here, take this, take that, take that. No, he provides the materials. God isn't, and he could do miraculous and signs and wonders. I believe he could provide any way he sees fit. He's sovereign. He could do whatever he wants. But in here, 
He is providing nature the ingredients to feed themselves. What about the plants? Well, God clothes them, not miraculously, by the process that he created. He said that, hey, I'm gonna create plants and all they need is soil, water, and sun, and they're gonna grow. And so I'm gonna clothe them in what they need. It's the same way with human beings. God provides, but we still have to cooperate. Some of us are praying for money, but we, we haven't applied for a job. You know, like, okay. I, you have the right motive when you're praying, but now you got to get, you know, we gotta, you got to, you know, do some things here. You know, like, you, you, you're praying for your marriage, but you're not going to therapy. You know, like, God's like, okay, I can do it, but, but I need you to cooperate with me. I don't just give the birds the food. No, they got to hunt for it. They got to scavenge for it. The flowers, I created a process for them. Some of us, we're praying things, but we're not doing what we need to do to cooperate with God. There's a story of a, a missionary named Hudson Taylor. He was on a voyage to China to, to, to preach the gospel. And in 1853, he went out a violent storm off the Welsh coast, threatened disaster. And he felt like it would be dishonoring to God to wear a life vest. So he gave his away. Later, however, he saw his mistake. And he says this, the use of means ought to not lessen our faith in God. Our faith in God ought to not hinder us using whatever means he has given us for the accomplishment of his own purposes. Means there's things in your life, you're praying for one thing and God already gave you what you need to get what you need. Like God is like, hey, I've given you the means. So you're praying for, like he, this man thought that he'd be honoring God and putting faith in God by giving up the life vest that God created for him to not drown and die and be like, I have faith, so I don't need this. He would have died, and it's like, God's like, I told you not to do that, bro. You died on your watch. That was your fault. And he's like, no, no, no. God provided this. I'm going to use it. And it doesn't mean that I have less faith in God. It means that I'm using what God gave me. A lot of us, we have anxiety because we are not using what God has given us, and we're praying for things, and it's right in front of us. And it's like, I'm here. I'm waiting. You don't have to have anxiety. The prison door is open. I just need you to cooperate with me. There's things that we have to do, church, sometimes. Like we gotta, we have to put our faith into action and believe, yes, God can provide miracles, but Joshua still had to cross that river. Moses still had to cross that split sea. There was things that we're gonna do to cooperate with God at the end of it. It's gonna be all God, but we just need to take that step and say, I'm not gonna let this anxiety hold me back, twist my thinking, blame God. No, I'm gonna believe God's gonna do it, but I'm also gonna maybe see what I'm doing in my life that I need to change in order to make sure that God can feed me, to clothe me, and take care of me. Second thing is possessions. It says this in verse 31 through 33. It says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. So people, again, non-Jews, Gentiles are non-Jews, so Jews believed in God. He's like, hey, we're not like Gentiles, the Gentiles that don't believe in God. The Gentiles, that, that they, these people, if you didn't believe in God, you, what do you focus on? Materialistic things. You're, you're focused on uh, lifting up your ego. You're focused on maybe doing your own thing and, and your own influence. And it's like, no, no, we don't, we're not focused on material things. We're focused on spiritual values. And here's the thing. I'm not saying that it's wrong to own things, not wrong to own a boat, to have nice clothes, to take care of your family, to go out to a nice dinner. I'm not saying that. It is not wrong to own things so as long as those things don't own us. I think this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, hey, we don't, we don't, 
Like you, you're asking for things and it's like, like we have, you have clothes. Is it that you want a certain type of clothes? You want a certain type of brand? You're looking at somebody else's life and you want that and you have anxiety because you cannot match up to what they're living? You have anxiety because you're comparing yourself to somebody else's life and it's like, hey, you have a house. You have a car too. Like, yeah, it might not be as nice, but you got what you need. And, 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 and God will provide and God will take care of you. But sometimes we allow our materialistic mindset, our possession-driven mindset, and we cause anxiety for ourselves that God never intended us to have. It's because we're, we're focused on the wrong things. I'm, I'm, I'm making possessions my master. I need to have this. If I go on this vacation, my anxiety will be gone. And then you go on vacation with kids and you have more anxiety than you had before you left. <laughs> All right, like... Materialistic things are not bad in itself, but if we make it our master, right? There's a remember, there's a battle between two masters. That's why he's saying, therefore, don't be anxious. We got to go back to that. We can't lose sight of that. So our possessions, what is going against God, and are we going more in favor of possessions than we are in God? And that's what we have to check our hearts. Am I, am I getting focused on, like I'm asking God for things like, man, I, I, I'm, God is so good. I have so many things in my life. I, God, if it's in your will, if you want to provide this, then make it happen. But if not, God, I'm thankful for what I, what I have. I'm thankful for what you've given me. I'm thankful for what is in my life. I thank you for my family. I thank you for my, my house, my car. And so what he says is if, you, if, you're, if you're struggling with this, two things, seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness. Seeking his kingdom is seeking his mindset. What does the kingdom of God look like on earth? In our everyday life, in our homes, in our workplace, in our conversations with people? Are we, are we showing people what the kingdom of God looks like? Kingdom values, kingdom mindsets. That, that what, how we live spreads into our atmosphere of living. Like the world right now needs godly kingdom principles. But it's not going to happen by just thoughts and prayers. Yes, we need to pray for our country. Yes, we need to pray for change. But what's going to happen is if you start as a family living out kingdom principles in your home, that in society will be changed by the fathers and mothers that will put their faith in Jesus, put their faith back in the Bible, put their faith back to going into the church, and by your family and your family will start to spread into the atmospheres in your life. Guess what? God's kingdom can start to spread. We seek that. I want what God's plan for America is. I want what God's plan for my family is. I want what God's plan for the world is. And it's in scripture. And it's for us to go out into the world to preach the good news of Jesus, that there is an answer for your life, that there is an answer for your sin, that heaven is your home, that God did everything already by sending his son Jesus. All you have to do is, it, that's why it's good news. Jesus did all the work, but we live it out in our families. And then it's seeking God's righteousness. This is individual and social righteousness. It's when our righteousness and our thoughts about God's kingdom and his will spills over into a non-Christian world. And how does that happen? Your testimony. What kind of testimony are you giving for Jesus? If I was to ask people what your life is and how your church life is, how your relationship with Jesus, would listening to you talk make me want to give my life to Jesus or stay away from Jesus? Because if we seek possessions and we seek priorities that are wrong, what's going to happen is we're going to blame God for things that we wanted when he's like, I don't, I'm not going to give you that. You, don't, you want that, but I already gave you what you need. I'm going to give you what, I'm going to take care of your family. I'm going to make sure you're good. I'm going to help you financially. I'm going to take care of you. All these things I will give you, right? That's what he promises. But a lot of us, we blame God for things. We get angry at God. And instead of preaching the good news, and I'm not saying you have to hide your struggles. Man, like being a Christian is hard. 
but I never want to mock the church and I never want to mock the faith of Jesus. Yeah, there's times I have doubts. There's times I'm angry at God. There's times I'm angry with, with what he's doing and what he's allowing in my life. But I have to understand that there's a mission at hand and that people are watching my life. People are curious to see how I'm going to respond to this situation. And I don't want my life to be a bad testimony. I, want, I don't want my life to deter somebody from going to heaven. I never want my life to deter anybody from ever experiencing what I've experienced by giving my life to Jesus. And so I'm going to seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness. When we work out our salvation, when we're obedient to God and we share the good news, God will take care of our life every single time. Every single time. Third and final point in the band could come up. I think Jesus talks about progress. Are we making progress in our life? And if not, what's our plans to make progress? And so we focus on our future. And I love this quote by Corey Ten Boone, she talks about what worry does about the future. It says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today's of its strength. When you focus on tomorrow, you lose strength to face today. And you know what you do? You, you double your worry. So now you're worried about what's happening in the modern day, present day. And then you start thinking about your future. And then you worry about that. And now you're worried all over the place. You've multiplied your worry and anxiety. I heard it say that the, I've heard it said that the average person is crucifying themselves between two thieves: the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. That we're either worrying about our past or we're worried about what's going to happen in the future, and it's almost like we're being crucified between these two things. They're thieves. They're taking our joy. They're taking our our, our faith. They're taking our our love for God. They're taking away things that in other ways would help us. Listen, it's right to plan for your future. It's right to save for your future. I have a savings account for Eden, like my daughter, like I'm doing these things. But when it's with my attention, when it's my master, that when my, I have more hope in my future than I have right now. And all I can think about is my, my life will change in a couple years. And when those years go by and that day comes and it doesn't change, what happens? You worried for nothing. Or you're worried it's something that, that, you know, we worry about these what-if situations that may not even happen, so we worry for nothing. And then if they do happen, we have Jesus that can help us. And so it's like, why worry at all if we really believe Jesus at his word? Yes. And I know it's kind of like, okay, Phil, it's easier said than done. I get it. But we got to preach it and we got to believe it and we got to do it. If not, we don't do it. You better believe, regardless of what you believe or not, you're going to have worry and anxiety and you can stay with that or... We can get up and get out of that prison and believe that God can help us. That if I pray, that I put my focus on him, if I watch out what I'm putting priority on, I can have less anxiety and less stress and less worry. The prison of anxiety is optional. In the end, worry is a waste, a waste of time, a waste of thought, a waste of nervous energy. James 4, 13 through 16 says this, if we can put it up on the screen. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year. We'll do business there, make a profit. You got all these plans. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Nobody knows what tomorrow is. I literally do not know. I have plans for my week, but that's about it. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know the conversations. I don't know what's going to happen, the unexpected turns and, and surprises. I don't know. Who knows what your life will be like tomorrow? None of us. Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. It's gone. Your life can be gone instant. Instant. I was at a funeral yesterday. One of my friends from high school passed away. My age. 
was leaving work, car crash, died. Done. Did nothing wrong. He, did he know that was going to happen? No. Our life is a vapor. It's a vapor. I was reminded of that yesterday. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Not to give you fear, right? We don't live in fear. But there should be some reverence of like, I can't waste my time worrying about things that don't matter. I know anxiety is going to come. I know I'm going to worry at some point. But when it does come, I'm ready to fight back. That I'm not going to live as a fearful person. That I'm going to believe that God is going to take care of the things that need to be taken care of. And if I do that, I'll be able to face tomorrow a little bit better. So if you want to have victory over worry and anxiety, three things. You need faith, the Father, and first. You have faith to believe that God will meet your needs. You trust the Father who cares for his children. And you put him first that he may be glorified. You have faith. You believe your Father is good and you put him first. Notice every time you stop putting God first, what happens in your life? I mean, I'll let that speak for itself. We know, we know what happens. We don't beat ourselves up. We don't, we don't, we, we're not condemned, but there should be a conviction that's like, I need to put God first. And when I do that, I believe, whether I feel it or not, that the word he says is true, that he will give me peace. That surpasses all understanding. That doesn't make sense. But what else in this world can offer me that? Maybe some things can manufacture it and you can feel peace for a little bit, but that high comes down. That alcohol comes down. That sex goes away and you got to run back to it. Jesus, the Bible says, never leaves us nor forsakes us. And he's with us every step of the way. Come on, why don't we stand up to our feet? I believe the presence of God is here. We're going to... I don't know, I just feel like people are going to be set free from anxiety. Like I told you, it's not going to be a one and done type of thing something we're going to deal with the rest of our lives. But man, how can we leave here knowing like when it does come, we have an answer for the problem that we're dealing with. And what I want to do in this place, I just feel like it'd be a waste not to sing this song over us. Break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. Have we forgotten that power? Have we forgotten the great name of Jesus? it was Shonda share that story of Paul and Silas has become another fairy tale story to us or do we believe that our worship can break chains not because of our singing or what we do but because of the one that we're worshiping like anxiety can go depression can go you don't have to stay in the prison of anxiety forever it is optional every single time in the name of Jesus so I just want us to sing this out one more time. The band's going to lead us. But I would just pray, pray right now. If you're, if you're dealing with anxiety, man, what, what if we left here with a, with a little bit of weight off of our shoulders? With a, a brand new start, a brand new beginning, that we put our priority back on Jesus and make him first in our lives. We seek his kingdom. We seek his righteousness. So the band's going to lead us, and then we're going to pray. But I challenge you, have your time with the Holy Spirit right here and right now. Let's sing this out. Last and final thing, I just want to pray for anybody here that doesn't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never made a decision to follow after Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. See, the beautiful thing about Jesus and why we can rely on him is because what he did on the cross for us. Jesus was the son of God, right? And you have to understand, being in heaven is pretty awesome. It's, the Bible calls it paradise. Jesus left paradise for earth 
for you and for me. Why? Because we're sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. When we're born on this planet, we are born sinners. And the problem with sin is that it separates us from God. Meaning you and I can't go to the party with God. We can't hang out with God. We can't go out to eat with God because he can't be with sin. He's holy and we are not because of sin. It taints our spirit. And there's nothing that we can do to remove it. That makes it even worse. Doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter how much money you give to charity. Doesn't matter how good your marriage is. Doesn't matter how awesome your family is. You got the white picket fence and a dog and all that stuff. We're still sinners. And that sin will always separate us from God. So Jesus and his love and his sacrifice and his humility stepped down from heaven and came down to earth, born as a baby, grew up to be a man. His whole mission, literally, he was born to die. His whole life was gearing towards a brutal cross, torture, humiliation, abandonment. That day came and the Bible tells us that Jesus gave up his life. He gave his up of his life to the authorities. He was abandoned by his friends. He was abandoned by his family members. He was tried illegally in court. Here's what you have to understand about Jesus that is crazy. Jesus was fully God and fully human, meaning the God part, he didn't sin. He didn't mess up. He didn't make mistakes. He was blameless. The human part, he can relate to every situation you're dealing with. There's nothing like the humanity of Jesus that whatever you're going through, he knows. Jesus had some pretty hard anxiety to the point where he asked God to remove the cross from his life to the point that he was so anxious and so fearful of the cross that he was sweating blood. Jesus knows what you're going through. So Jesus gives up his life. He's, he's tortured. He's humiliated. The Bible tells us that Jesus was beaten so badly he was unrecognizable. Hands nailed, feet nailed to the cross, a crown of thorns put on his head to make fun of him as the king of the Jews. On that cross, nobody was with him. Just two other thieves on his left and his right. Even God had to turn away because his son was so messed up. But on that cross, Jesus was thinking about you. He's thinking about me. He was thinking about that you would never have to experience this. That because of what he's doing, you will never have to experience destruction and death. On that death or on that cross, he dies. They put him in a tomb and for three days, he's dead. It sounds like Jesus was a heretic. He was a liar. They go to check for his friend and families, go to check for Jesus. And they look at the tomb and the, the stone rock was rolled away and it was empty. They could not find Jesus. Why? Because he left that tomb. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And we believe that Jesus is alive today. And he still speaks. He still heals. He still helps us. So what do you have to do? All you have to do is surrender your life. Put your faith in Jesus. And what does the Bible say? That we'll be saved. Our sin removed. Access to heaven. Purpose on earth. All we have to do is surrender. We don't have to die on a cross. We surrender because it's a free gift of grace that Jesus already paid for. Every eye closed, every head bowed. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to make the best decision of your life today. Don't wait for tomorrow. What do we learn? Tomorrow, I promise to no man. I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. I don't know what's going to happen when you leave this church. I don't know what's going to happen in a year, three years, four years. I don't know what your life's going to look like. But I do know that you have an opportunity for it to change for the better. That you can make the greatest decision of your life to give your life to Jesus and let him mold you and shape you and change you. What I want to ask you to do is if you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to have a brand new beginning, you want to have forgiveness of your sins, you want to know that when you leave this earth, your first step is going to be in heaven. I'm going to ask you in the count of three, lift up your hand. I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and hands are already going up and you can put them right back down. I just want to see who I'm praying for. One, 
two, three. You lift up your hand. You lift up your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. God bless 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 you. I see you, man. You can put your hands down, guys. Thank you so much. I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a repeat after me prayer. But if you raise your hand, this is you talking to Jesus. I'm just helping you facilitate it. But this is you talking to your heavenly father. And I promise you, your life is about to change. Give God a year of your life and you're, you're going to be shocked by the person that you become. It's going to be beautiful. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Prayer goes like this, church. Let's say this with them. Lord Jesus, I open up my heart. I invite you inside to be my friend, to be my savior, to be my God. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I love you and I thank you. And everybody said, come on, let's put our hands together for all those hands that went up. Praise God. It's the best decision ever in your entire life. Thanks so much, Nikki. Here's what we want to do. And I know we got baptisms coming up. And I know everybody's moving around just for a little bit. Just, just for this moment, I promise I, I won't keep you too much longer. I just want to give you a, some attention, some directions. If you raised your hand, we got a gift for you outside. And this gift is awesome. It's got a free Bible that's super easy to read. It's got a letter from Pastor Alex and Diana that's going to encourage you. You got a coffee tumbler, a free coffee voucher, a cafe. There's a bunch of stuff in here. It's awesome. It's free. There's no gimmicks. Go grab it. It's going to bless your life. And so after service, in the connect tent before we go celebrate the baptisms talk to somebody if you need prayer they'll pray for you if not just grab this and go we just want to help you on this journey following after Jesus come on let's put our hands together for them one more time thank you Nikki